This is the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast, a podcast for creatives, for those who are beginning to be creative or those who have built a business around their creativity. Here, we allow creatives to tell their story about how they got to where they are today, and we give some tips on how to make your creative business better than it was yesterday. Before we get into the interview, I want to announce, if you don't know already, that Coffee Stains is now available for pre-order. On episode 99, I read the very first chapter of Coffee Stains, so if you would like to know a little bit more about the novel, head on over to episode 99 and you can listen to the full first chapter there. The pre-order is on Amazon, Kobo, and Bards & Noble. Pre-ordering helps me a little bit because it tells the algorithm that people are interested. If you're interested in coming of age stories, stories about strong female characters who have to make really difficult decisions, I think that Coffee Stains might be for you. Please share it with whoever you think might be interested. I'm very excited about this novel coming out. It's my third novel. It took a lot of work. The idea of the novel came to me 14 years ago. So it has been bubbling under the surface and has been edited and rewritten several times. And I'm really proud of the novel and I think that you guys are really going to like it. So links are in the show notes as well. Come celebrate with me by pre-ordering it or sending it to somebody who you know will enjoy it. Now, onto the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pencils and Lipstick podcast. It is episode 103, October 18th, 2021. I can't believe that we're still over 100. I know I say this all the time, but (laughs) it's still amazing to me that we made it to 100. I have a really fabulous guest with me today. I'm very excited that he took the time to come to the Pencils and Lipstick and no, he didn't wear any lipstick. I've yet to get a man to wear lipstick on the show. I don't know what that says. I guess I'm not very convincing. So Jay Thorne is the top 100 most popular author in horror, science fiction, action, adventure, and fantasy. He has published 2 million words. Oh my gosh. And has sold more than 185,000 books worldwide. In March of 2014, Jay Thorne held the fifth position in horror alongside his childhood idols, Dean Coots, and Stephen King. That is quite the compliment. You can find Jay Thorne at theauthorlife.com. I highly recommend that you head on over there. You will see all of his books, plus his author services that he provides, which are many. He also hosts the podcast with Jack Bohannon, um, the Career Author Podcast. He also wrote Three Story Method, Foundations of Fiction with Zach Bohannon as well. And they also have a couple other fiction books out there that they co-write together. Jay Thorne is a really personable guy. I really enjoy him. I'm actually in one of his groups, the Author Success Mastermind. It's really fun to be in there and to learn from him. As he says in the interview that he is a teacher at heart and he does a really good job at breaking some things down as it applies to writing. And as you know, in this season of the Pencils and Lipstick podcast, we're really focusing a lot on on the craft. I don't want to say the methods of writing because everybody has their own method of writing and not every method is, you know, the end all be all. 
but we're really focusing on craft and sort of breaking down the ego that some of us creatives have, and I certainly had for a long time, about resisting looking into the masters and the mentors and making our writing better for it. Like I always wanted my writing to be better, but I sort of assumed that I needed to figure it out on my own, I guess. I I don't know. As as Jay Thorne says, it's really a a limiting mindset to have that mindset. And I think it's rooted in insecurity, quite frankly, but you know, pride or insecurity, I guess. So we're looking at craft, how we can become better writers because painters look at mentors and pros, musicians, you know, and yet somehow, especially when we're in the beginning of our writing career, we think that we have to do it all alone, I guess. I don't know why we do this. Maybe a psychologist can give me their theory other than pride or insecurity. <laughs> that's that's my theory. So Jay Thorne really breaks things down in the three-story method. And I want to encourage you to check it out. It's a really easy read. That's one thing that kind of kept me from reading craft books when I was younger, because they just seem long and the font really small. It felt overwhelming, quite frankly. But he does a really great job of doing a lot of research, looking into a lot of mentors so that you don't have to, or you know, introducing you to people that you can go back and read their theories and their methods on how they did it. Interestingly enough, he quotes Neil Gaiman in here, and I've been binging Neil Gaiman's masterclass series before my subscription ends. <laughs> I got in on the COVID subscription on masterclass, but of course didn't watch it. <laughs> so now it's about to end. So I'm finding that I'm really enjoying it. So if you have that masterclass, if you were like me and you bought it during COVID, go at least um, listen to Neil Gaiman's class on writing. And it's just interesting to, to listen to his process. So we are in the middle of October. I have gotten a lot of like short story stuff done. Coffee Stains is out on October 24th, which is really fun because that's also my 40th birthday. I know. Oh my gosh. I turned 40. (laughs) It just doesn't seem real. I don't feel 40, but I sort of chose that date because I thought it would be a fun thing to do to have my third novel, you know, not including that first one way back in 2003 that I will never re-release. So my third one, Coffee Saints, it's a contemporary women's fiction. It, I think it kind of, although I didn't know about the three-story method at the time when I was writing it, I've gone back and I really think that it does hit all the key points of the conflict, the choice, and the consequence. So you'll, you'll learn more about that as you get into the interview with Jay Thorne. So I I went through short stories. I actually handed one in for a contest. I don't know what it is with me in contests these days. You know what? I do know what it is. It seems less overwhelming than sending, sending it in to get published to a, a lit mag. Although my next goal is to just like break that fear barrier and send one off and just get the no, you know, just get it. Um, I guess I'm going going back to like those days in France when I would send off like mass query letters and then I would get mass no's back. (laughs) I don't know. There must be like, like a sticking point there with me. So I sent it off. It was interesting because the, the short story idea came to me during a weekend, my weekend away. And I know I talked a little bit about this 
two episodes ago, but I just needed a weekend away. Like I couldn't think of anything and I just felt depleted. And it was great because when I got back, I actually really did spend a lot of time thinking, what am I going to write about? What am I going to write about? And I started five different ideas. You know, I got through anywhere from a paragraph to half a page on five. And then I settled on this one. And I really think it came out well. I clearly didn't spend tons of time on it. I did it rather quickly and then did a lot of editing and listening to it and getting some feedback on it before sending it off. And so, you know, if I had done things as I kind of wanted to, I would have given myself more time, but I honestly couldn't come up with the idea (laughs) of the short story. So I have that in, you know, off, off to be, you know, critiqued. I think the best thing about this contest is that the editors are going to give feedback. So that's kind of one of the reasons why I did it that way. Then Coffee Stains comes out in just a few days time. It is on pre-order. If you like contemporary, it is women's fiction, I guess. Contemporary women's fiction. It follows Anna, who has to make a choice because she has made one choice to go to the university using a scholarship that was originally given to a girl who's now dead. They have the same first name. So she has sort of wrangled her way into using the scholarship. And now everything's about to fall apart as more people start finding out. So she is coming up against some choices. And that is really what the story is about. And it's a coming of age in a coming home story. And it is a story that I lived with for years. I actually wrote the first draft a decade ago and just left it there because there was something missing from it. There was something, it just wasn't developed enough. And I just don't think that my, my knowledge of storytelling was deep enough. And I'm glad that I held on to it. And I'm also glad that I took it out and fixed it. And I'm really pleased with it. So I hope that you will enjoy it. If you don't like women's fiction and it doesn't sound like something you're into, please share it with somebody that you think would. It is both in Kindle format and paperback. And I am working slowly on getting large print formatting for all of my books. And audio for me will take a while because it's expensive. Let's just be real. (laughs) So also I am pre-recording the next few episodes of the podcast because I leave for Nepal on November 3rd. I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. So I know I've talked about it already on last week's podcast, but I can't stop talking about it. So I'm very excited about Nepal. It is a humanitarian sort of trip. We are going and working with a group there that rescues women off the streets out of sex trafficking. It is a trip to bring, you know, eyes to the issue on sex trafficking in the world. Um, there's lots of different, you know, kinds of human trafficking, but this one focuses specifically on sex trafficking. I'm going with We International. They have a house in Uganda where they've rescued several girls. I think we're at 18 now, and they're they're looking into expanding the the space and you know rescuing more girls. They give them a safe place to stay. They give them education. They give them healthcare and a future, really, a much better future than being on the streets. And some of the girls have really horrible stories, really, really sad stories. Um, So I think that this trip is going to be hard, 
but I think it's going to be enlightening and it's going to, I think it's going to change me for the better. And I'm really excited about it. We also get to trek to Mount Everest. So that is so exciting. If you are at all interested in learning more about human trafficking, about sex trafficking and how it is just all over the world, honestly, it's like a plague all over the world. I encourage you to go check out weinternational.org. There is tons of information there. You can see what they are doing. They work with several different organizations and just see, you know, see what's going on and see what you can do. I'm sure that I will talk about it more when I get back. I am not going to put any pressure on myself to write while I'm there other than documenting the trip. That is, I have a whole new journal, of course, just for that. (laughs) Because why not? I have to have a specific journal for that. I'm just going to document the trip and document what's going on and not try to make it anything more than, you know, diary of the trip. And then, of course, my writer mind says, we'll see where that goes, right? So that is my news for the day. I know lots of stuff is happening in the publishing world. I recommend you guys go check out the Creative Peng podcast. Joanna Penn talks a lot about the changes happening in the publishing industry. Amazon is constantly changing things. And coming up to Christmas, it looks like they're changing even more things. So just check her out. Check out a couple other people. David Gokrin is usually really good at knowing what's going on in the publishing world. And as we get closer to Christmas, you can always head over to catcaldwell.com if you like journals or know somebody who likes journals. I have some and I really recommend and love the a new way to journal that I have. It's a hardcover journal. It is really beautiful. It has 36 prompts in there for anyone who ever had to leave a journal blank because they just didn't think they had enough to say, which has been me several, several points in my life. Um, and then to keep, keep following me on Instagram at catcaldwell.author and Facebook, catcaldwellauthor. I'm also on locals at cat underscore caldwell because I am going to have quite a few giveaways and fun things coming up to Christmas because I just want to celebrate that we made it through the year and that we're good, you know, for the most part, (laughs) just want to celebrate the year. So without further ado, I will bring you Jay Thorne. Be sure to check the show notes for all the links to all the things that he has, his book and his masterclass and his Twitter and the show notes for links to um, the creative writing community. If you really want to get serious about your writing and my website and my links If you want to follow me at Nepal as I'm there, and if you want to check out my books and journal, and please go pre-order Coffee Stains. And once you get it, please review it. Without further ado, again, here's Jay Thorne. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast. I'm excited to bring to you Jay Thorne. Hi, Jay. It is so exciting to have you here. Thanks, Kat. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I'm glad that you're excited because I'm excited. I wanted to have you on because you a write a completely different genre than I write. So that's always fun to talk about. And you do a lot of things besides writing. So, and I just read your book. So, (laughs) so many reasons why. Um, Before we get started, would you tell people just a little bit about yourself, where you come from, where you are, what you write? Sure. Yeah. Uh, 
I was born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and um, I went to school and uh, for history. I ended up with a master's in education, ended up teaching in mostly independent schools for 23 years or so. Uh, the last decade, last five to seven years of that stint, I was also writing in my spare time and, and weekends and sort of transitioning into um, the full-time creative life, which is which is what I live now. So uh, I have a wife and two kids. We've lived in Tennessee, New Jersey, and uh, the past 15 years or so, we've been in Cleveland, Ohio. So I've kind of come back around to the Rust Belt. I'm not exactly in Pittsburgh, but I'm, I'm, I'm nearby. And uh, yeah, that's that's a little that's the the quick version. Awesome. So you guys, you have a bit of freedom there. Do you follow your wife's job, or do you guys just sort of go wherever you want to? Over the we takes were you? following when I was teaching. I took um, I went in from into various roles. I started out as a history English teacher, okay, uh, humanities teacher. I then took positions as like uh, director of technology. I was an entrepreneurship teacher. Uh, I taught upper school. English and history. And so all those moves were us following my work. Mm. And then once we, once we got to Cleveland and, um, and that was my longest stint at a school. And I left that position in 2017. So about four and a half years ago. Um, and so since that time, I'm completely location independent because all of my work is done, you know, through zoom and, and online yeah. uh, and that sort of thing. And, uh, my oldest is now a freshman at uh, Reed College in Oregon. And my youngest is a sophomore in high school. So when uh, she graduates in about two and a half years, my wife and I are going to be uh, digital nomads. That's the plan. Nice. That is awesome. Yeah. It's nice to stick around for the kids to finish high school. That's nice of you to do. <laughs> Sometimes I'm yeah. like, oh, yeah, I have children. I should, I should consult. Yeah. Them. You know, like, and, and there's something to be said for, for uprooting your kids and moving them around periodically. And I think there's a lot of value in that. But we were like knowing our kids specifically, mm -hmm. we felt like, you know, they both started at the private school where I taught and they're okay. both going to, my son graduated from there. My daughter will as well. And so that sort of continuity and, and sort of foundational life skills we, we thought were invaluable and, and we sacrificed a lot to, to get them into private school and to yeah. kind of stay in that system. But like, we know ultimately it's, it's going to pay off and, and we've told our kids the, your education, that's your inheritance because yeah. we're dying broke. <laughs> we're not leaving you guys a dime, just so you know. <laughs> well, the inheritance tax will get them anyway. So, you know, right. it's better so to do money. <laughs> no one can take away your education, right? So exactly. that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So you recently then became really full-time writer. I feel like that's not too long ago. No, it's not. You know, it's not. And at the same time, it is because I think of the way the world has changed since since 2019. And and now that feels like a lifetime ago. But but you're right. Like it's 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 not that long ago. And uh, it's been interesting because I don't often pause to reflect as much as I should. But I'm in certain life stages now, especially with my kids going through different transitions. It's kind of forcing me to be a little more reflective. And uh, I feel like I'm a completely different person than I was mm. in 2017 in just in just four years. Uh, and I feel like I've gone through changes that teenagers go through, not necessarily people middle age. That's awesome, though. That's uh, well, we'll talk a little bit more. Maybe you're going through your own hero journey or maybe, maybe you're going through the virgin <laughs> journey. I don't know. Which yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's just a little sneak for all the listeners. You have to keep listening for that. Um, so it's interesting because a lot of people want to write, but they work full time. 
but you're clearly somebody who has shown the world that you can work full-time and right. And teaching is not, you know, a nine to five job, really. You guys are always bringing work home. So how did you start and how did you learn to balance that? Or did it ever get balanced? Balance is a funny word. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'd call it balanced. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to sound like a name dropping jerk, but this is completely relevant because our interview for the Writers Inc. with Nicholas Sparks went up today. Ooh, and, I... and I asked him that question because he said, well, basically what he said was that you have to sacrifice something. Okay. If you want to be a writer, you have to sacrifice something. And this is a guy who had five kids and a, and a, and a wife. And so, you know, he, he was dealing with all this stuff. And and uh, he jokingly said, and I said well, like what? And he said happiness. But like your mind, yeah, your sanity. Um, you know, and, and, like in all seriousness, I think that you do have to be willing to sacrifice something. I mean, it it, it might be something like you know your Netflix time, or it might mm -hmm. be your night out with the girls, or it might be your Sunday afternoon football watching time. But like you, you got to sacrifice something. It's you know we we all have the same number of minutes in our day. Um, no one's more busier than anyone else. I, you sure. know, I, when I hear people say, I don't have the time, to me, it just means it's just not a priority to you because we all okay. have the same amount of time. Sure. So what I had to do, my sacrifice was, I sacrificed my, I used to, I still do, I do more now. I used to love watching evening television, mm -hmm. serialized television. I love it. I loved it 10 years ago. It's even better now. But I realized that I had to sacrifice something. I, I had to take this writing time from somewhere because my kids at the time we're two and five and they're very demanding at that age. And, yes. and so I couldn't just, you know, push them in a room and say, Hey, dad's going right. So I started going to bed an hour and a half earlier. I, I cut out my TV watching time. I went to bed an hour and a half earlier. I got up 90 minutes earlier and that's when I did my writing. So I would, I would get up at four thirty, five o'clock and I, I would get my writing in before anyone else got out of bed. And then I would do my dad duties and take kids to school. And then I would go to work and, that was my sacrifice. And I, so I think yeah. everyone has to find it. I think, you know, you, you scale it to whatever your own situation is. There's no number of minutes you have to give up or anything like that. But I think in your heart, you have to know that like, you are going to have to make a sacrifice. Mm. But did you ever fall asleep on your keyboard at 430 in the morning? That's really early. <laughs> you know, it is, but it's also amazing how your body adapts. And okay. like, I, I've seen this in with nutrition, with uh, exercise. We tell ourselves these stories and, yes. and they're not entirely true, right? Like I used to tell myself, like, I'm a night owl. That was my story, right? I was a night owl when I was in high school and college. And then when I got into the working environment, I became a morning person because I just, I, my, my body got retrained that way. And then it became hard for me to stay up past 10 PM. Yes. <laughs> I, so I, like, I think I, I really think there's these self-limiting stories we tell ourselves. I think we're much more flexible and adaptable than we give ourselves credit for. Right. And so, yeah, the first couple mornings I rolled out of bed at 4.30. That was the last thing I wanted to do is sit down at that keyboard and, and type. But then, you know, after a couple months, it was just what I did. Nice. I think it, the key is to you went to bed earlier. You didn't try to like add it to everything else you're doing because then you probably would fall asleep at that keyboard. So yeah, yeah giving that up, up that television. So you actually go to bed. <laughs> like, yeah. Cause be I, I, the, the whole loss of sleep thing, the tech bro, I'll sleep when I'm dead, a badge of honor. I, I can't stand that. It's like saying you're not going to eat. You're going to work instead of eat. Like sleep is 
so fundamental. And especially when you're talking about something that requires such intellectual capacity and concentration and focus. I mean, there's countless scientific studies documenting how sleepiness is more dangerous on the road than, than alcohol yeah. is, you know? Right. So I think, you know, people that, that sacrifice sleep, like you're, you're just playing with fire there. You're just asking for trouble. Yeah. Yes. A friend of mine just read, so I, I forget the title. I should know this, this stuff, but she came over and told us all about how we need to readjust our sleeping and scared the bejeebies out of us <laughs> <laughs> as we go into, you know, our second, third, what is the second trimester of life? And we're all like, okay, we don't want to pay for it when we're 70. So we need to adjust right. it. Yeah. My yeah. husband's a Spaniard and I think they sleep the least amount in the entire world. They're very, like very active people. They're very much night owls. Their whole culture is around it. And so adjusting that is, has been about a decade of work. <laughs> like, does, does he do the afternoon siesta? I mean, does he get a nap? In you know, anything? sometimes they do, but not, not anymore, not in the modern times. And that's why I'm just like, you guys need to adjust something here. <laughs> and yet they live long. So who knows? They're the anomaly though. You know, you yeah. can't look at the anomaly. <laughs> you like gotta look at like, Italians, right? Like they live, the, they, they yeah. eat like fish and drink wine all day and they live to a hundred or whatever. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. It's crazy. So us Americans need to, with our Doritos and Pop-Tarts, you know, probably. More. <laughs> so, uh, so what did you start out writing? You're a history major, I guess, an education master. So is it history that you write or I, I think you write thrillers, but <laughs> no, I I've kind of written all over the map. Oh, well, when, my, when I first started, when I had this idea, like I, I was not one of those kids who was like, I'm going to be a writer someday. Like okay. I wasn't writing stories when I was four or five. I, I came to it much later. I discovered writing mostly through the school newspaper, Oh, fine. which some of your listeners are like, what? It's a newspaper? Like there used <laughs> to be this thing. It was a blog, but they would print it on paper and they used to distribute it. That's, that's what a newspaper it was. It was great though. There was always a cartoonist, you know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So that's where I kind of got the, the writing bug. And so it wasn't until I was well into my forties. I mean, this was probably two, 2008, 2009. I had this crazy idea that I was going to write a novel. I'd never written creative fiction before. I was like, yeah, why not? I read Stephen King's on writing. I know all I need to know. Dunning-Kruger in full effect. Like I can handle this. So I, you know, I sit down and I crank out this 140,000 word historically based epic fantasy that was wow. the most, and I, and I, my poor friend Adam read it. And to this day, I apologize. Every time I talk to him, I'm like, I'm sorry, man. I'm so sorry. I made you read that. Because he was such a friend, like he gutted he it out. It. He, he finished it. It was terrible. It was so bad. But that's where I, that's kind of where I started. And then I kind of I emulated Stephen King and Dean Coots a lot. You know, I think that's what we do early on in our writer journey, whether we admit it or not. Mm -hmm. we're, we're emulating the the masters. That's how we learn. That's what musicians do. That's what painters do. It's perfectly natural. So I wrote a lot of more conventional horror stuff, and then okay. and then I got more into like sci-fi post-apoc dystopian stuff and that's a lot of the things i i write with zach bohannon or, or have written with zach bohannon okay uh which is sort of a you know it's a, it's an offshoot of horror um it's it's aligned with thrillers sometimes it's kind of a kind of a unique mix-up of of genres but yeah basically i've just written mostly dark stories that end with hope that's sort of what attracts me as a reader and that's what i try to create as an author yeah i was listening to 
here, here, you named up and I can't remember people's names. So somebody, he runs a horror literary magazine and he was like, people seem to have a misconception about horror, which I can clearly categorize myself in there. My mother is like a very skittish person. I know she's listening, so she's probably nodding her head. And so her horror was not in our household. And so I always associated it with like really, I don't know, like bloody evil, you know, and he was like, no, I don't want your most vicious, you know, scene on the first page. He said it was more like, it's, it's kind of a dark story with hope. I mean, I'm, he didn't say exactly those same words, but that's interesting that you say that. So what exactly is a horror story for you? Like other than a little more detail there. That is a fantastic question. I don't think I've ever been asked what to define a horror story. Take it, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think I know either. Like, okay. I, it's, um, you hi, think mom, it's more psychological? <laughs> yeah, hey, mom. <laughs> yeah, hi, mom. Um, yeah, I get it's more for me, maybe it's more like, like pornography. Like, I, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was uh, like, how's he, he going to relate those two? <laughs> But, you know, it's, I mean, in the conventional sense, horror is typically about a monster and that monster can be a human, it could be supernatural, it could be Mm. environmental, paranormal, but it's, it's typically something that is unexplainable, maleficent, it's, it's out to harm. Sometimes there's a reason behind it. Sometimes there isn't. What, what I, what I don't like is I don't like horror for the sake of the violence or Mm. the darkness. Right. And so it's been a long time. I might be miscategorizing this, but the whole saw franchise is like, not my kind of thing. Like those movies, I feel like were just, just for shock value. Like there Mm. there didn't seem to be a lot of substance behind them. So that's not the kind of horror that I like. So like one of my favorite horror novels of all time, even though it's not very well written is pet cemetery uh, by Stephen King. Because it's it's a completely relatable thing. Like it is, right. you know, if you lose someone who's incredibly close to you, and you have the, the ability to bring them back, should you do it? And like, are right. you ready to deal with those consequences? Like, that's the kind of horror that I like that that you can relate to, and that you learn a lesson from it, or or there's a message that you can extract from it, or there's some survival message some survival information that you can take from it and use in your own life so it's it's a pretty broad genre and you'll you will find all these sub genres within mm-hmm. horror but i i would say that you know that that sort of i don't want to say evil force but that unexplainable force is usually at the core of most horror stories that's really interesting to hear because i think maybe growing up in like the movie the saw generation like that was kind of what I would associate with it. I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I have terrible dreams. So I, if it's just violence for violence sake, I'm like, okay, maybe that's out in the world, but I'm just going to pretend that that doesn't exist. But one of the best horror movies I ever saw was a Spanish film where you never, ever saw any of the violence ever. Yes. But your heart raced the entire time. And it was like, you never saw it, but you left the movie thinking you did because you're making it up in your head as you go along, but it's just following the investigation. You know, it is, it was, it was unbelievable. That's when I was sort of like, wow, there's a lot more to writing it than just like blood and gore. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's very much like Hitchcockian, right? Like that's, yeah. 
that was sort of so thing with Hitchcock is that you know you didn't necessarily see and and that made it more frightening because it was because you had to you had to create the image in your own head and and somehow that was way more frightening than what goes on the screen and i think that's especially in horror i hear this all the time like oh the book was so much better than the movie and that's not a like that's not a fair comparison because they're mm. different mediums but i get like what's behind that is someone saying well, that version of the of the monster on the screen is not what was in my head, and oh, so there's so this disconnect between the two. So I, I I think that's I think that's it, and you know that's harder to do on the page than it is on the screen. But I think the longer you can withhold the monster or hide the monster or not show it at all, I think okay. the more powerful it is. And I, I mean, you look at something like a recent horror story that kind of went mainstream is Josh Mallerman's Bird Box, right? And you know the premise of that movie is that people if they take their blindfolds off, whatever's out there gets them. So, so yeah. they, you're blindfolded. Like that's, and that's way more frightening to me than to, to see what it was that was out there. Yes. Yes. And the fear that you can, then you got to wonder, should you just take it off? Like, is everyone just crazy? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you went, so you didn't publish that first one, that epic fantasy that you wrote? Oh, no, I did. You I did. did. Uh, yeah. I published, I have, I have about a million words of fiction that will never see the light of day again, but I, I initially it. published on Amazon and pulled it down. Yeah. That can be a hard choice though. I mean, I have one out there that I published and I pulled it and it will stay pulled forever, <laughs> but you learn a lot from that first one. You do. Unfortunately, you have to, if you do a paperback version on Amazon, you have to wear the scars because of the used book market. They do not remove the uh, the paperback. So those early paperback versions are still up there. Attached still to my there. Name. <laughs> no, they never take that that little thumbnail down either. Nope. <laughs> like how are there still that two out there? Like nobody read my book. Anyway. I know. Like there's not many for sale anywhere in any used marketplace. Like I give think me a break. Lying. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so what did you move? You then moved into from fantasy to horror. And what do you have up still on horror? It's interesting because the genre question is kind of tied into the production question. So there okay. was there was a period of time, especially when I was writing with Zach, where we were we weren't on the full rapid release model as it exists today, which is even okay. crazier. But we were still we were cracking out a book like every forty five to sixty days, and we did that for a year or two. And um, oh my we, gosh. Wrote, we got a lot of stuff out, and then. I know Zach did to, to a certain degree, me even more. I was like, I can't sustain this. Like this yeah. is, you know, it, it just, it felt, it wasn't fun. And I'm like, I'm supposed to be doing this for fun. Like, and it, it felt too much like work. And so I really, I really pulled back on that. And over the past couple of years, I haven't released very much at all. I, I released some anthologies, some short story collections. I haven't published my own novel in years. Part of that is because I'm being very selective. Mm -hmm. and, and I think there's an age thing here too. Like I recently turned 50 and I had this moment where like, oh shit, I'm, I'm 50. Like I remember making fun of 50 year olds when I was in college. Like we were I'm just old. talking about this last <laughs> night because our friends are turning 50 and we're like, we're not that far. Like, oh my gosh, we used to like make fun of that guy in the bar. Right. Oh no. <laughs> right. Right. And like, I'll talk to my kids and, and they'll be telling me about something happened at school. We're like, yeah, this guest speaker is this really old guy. I'm like, oh, really? Yeah. He was like 50 or something. And I'm like, okay. The so, worst is when they say like 35 and you're like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I'll give you that one. Uh, but, but you like, you do, at least I'd started having these 
realizations that I, like I only have so many books left. Like I don't, you know, and I don't want to spend that time just cranking out mm. products, you know, like I right. want to, if it takes me a year or two years to write a book, but it's, I'm really into it and I'm enjoying it and it's meaningful to me, then that's what I want to do. So right. I have, I have two books that I'm probably going to publish next year. I've been working on both of them for about three or four years on and off. They're really a not specific genre. Like one is more post-apoc. It's more like the road. Okay. And, the, and another one is more like a, like a thriller or suspense, like a Hitchcock film. But I love working on those. And so I'm not as concerned about it hitting the genre or what the label is or what the keywords are on Amazon. I just, I'm, I've been sort of opting out of that game over the past couple of years because I just don't feel like anyone wins but Amazon. Yes. I, I'm wondering if there's going to be a little bit of a pullback on this. Cause I agree with you that I don't think the repo release is sustainable for very long. And I've heard quite a few authors going into literal burnouts over it and learning to hate their job. Like it's no, it's no use leaving your nine to five to go to your passion, to burn out and hate your passion. Like exactly. then, then what's left. And I think you recommended to the group that you run um, the author success mastermind to read the, on writing. Yeah. And it was just amazing to me and refreshing to think that Kirk like took years to write the book, to make sure that it was correct, to make sure that it was right. You know, that his creativity wasn't compromised just to get it out. And I don't know if that, I just want to assume that everyone is going to turn the page. Cause I kind of feel like that's, that will make a better book, but I, I like it that you're agreeing with me. <laughs> there's, there's two of us. <laughs> okay, we're going to turn the industry around because I, I am seeing some people and some people write short, pithy books and they're great. And they, that's what they love to do. But I do see that there's like a, there's a compromise on the art form, you know, on how to write the story well and not write the same story over and over again. You know what I mean? And I think I do. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you can't write fast. And well, some write people can write super stuff, fast. Right. Like some people, some people do that. Like, you know, my friend Lindsay Broker probably writes 10,000 words a day and she's incredible. It's amazing. But I like that's just, that's a, she's an outlier. Like right. I, I just don't, I, I don't think most people can do that and, and, and do it well and enjoy it. And, th- and yeah. that's the key. You know, yeah. I have one friend in particular who, wrote under a pen name in a different genre and she hates it now, but, but she feels stuck because it, it pays the bills. Right. And I'm like, yeah, you just got yourself a job. Like, you know, you, you traded one keyboard stroke for another and like, you know, it's fine. Like, I guess ultimately it's still, it was still better for her than, than being employed, but like she's actively trying to get out of that because it's just not sustainable. Right. Right. And we got to enjoy our last years of life, like you say. <laughs> so, so I, I have been talking to uh, my listeners a lot about getting into the craft because I, this summer I was editing some books, got into like this editing group. And it seems to me that some of us as writers are, we have a story in our head, right? This idea as Neil Gaiman says, like, that's not a plot. That's an idea. That's, like, <laughs> that's not your book yet. So we either have this character that we like or this, you know, something's going to happen. This what if, you know, sort of situation. And then we just start writing 
And sometimes it goes into 108 words without any dialogue sort of writing. You know, that was one experience I had or just cliche or you don't really know how to develop a story. And so I'm trying to talk a lot about how can we study the craft of writing? Because I think we go from high school of like, here are your five paragraphs. Please write your intro, your, you know, your three paragraphs and your conclusion. And that's kind of all we get unless we go get our MFA, which most of us don't. So you wrote, you and Zach, I guess, together wrote the three story method. And it was, it's a really great book. It's, it's great because a, it's easy to read. And sometimes nonfiction is like, so (laughs) I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh. I don't know if I can do this. I always flip through it and I'm like, uh, there are no pictures. I don't know if I can do this. Um, And sometimes, you know, us writers or creative people are like, I don't want to be told how to do this. (laughs) But I really love how you wrote this book. It's very easy to follow. You use a lot of examples. So could you tell us a little bit of why you started the three-story method, how you got into it? And then we'll, we'll talk about this book. I'm going to try to convince people to buy this book. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. First of all, appreciate that. Appreciate the support of the book and, and you read it. That That's great. Cause you know, when someone buys a book, you don't necessarily know if they read it. So thank you for that. <laughs> well, I have a whole stack of those. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, you know, the idea really came out of the world building events that Zach and I were uh, running uh, or, and do run. We would do these retreat, these themed retreats in certain cities and, for example, we did Sci-Fi Seattle. So we took a group of people. We go to Seattle. We do workshops. We create this world. We go to the Mopop and we we see all the sci-fi stuff in Seattle. And then people go home and write a short story for a charity anthology. So that's okay. that was sort of like the, the overview of what these events were. And we we did them all over. We did one. We did zombies in Pittsburgh. We did uh, uh, we did witches of Salem. Oh, fun. Yeah, they're 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 great. People love them, and we've done them all over. But at one point, I don't remember exactly which one it was. We were teaching sort of the 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 writing process that, that Zach and I had developed, and this really kind of developed because we were co-writing. Mm-hmm. And you can't you can't co-write or collaborate with no plan. Like you can do that by yourself. Like you can just sit down and be like I'm going to see what comes out, and like then you can do whatever with it later. But like you can't. You can't co-write like that because you, you're there's another person involved. So we developed this sort of methodology. And, and honestly, like a lot of it came from StoryGrid. I was a certified, I was in the first class of Sean Coyne's certified StoryGrid editors in 2017. And StoryGrid's very intimidating. And I hmm. uh, when I worked with clients and when we did this these events, we couldn't give them full-on StoryGrid. They it was it was just too overwhelming. There's spreadsheets and graphs and <laughs> numbers and and for certain types of authors, like it's just not accessible. Okay. So I ended up, ended up kind of adapting it into come into into this uh, my own process. And Zach was like, "We need to write this down. Like this, like this is something you know pe- people will find useful." So I went away, and I, you know, being a being an academic and a, and a historian, I went and did a ton of research. I read. I mean, I got them stole my shelf back here. I, I thirty forty different craft books. You know, everything from Going, going way back to Aristotle's Poetics, to Joseph Campbell and Vogler and Sean McKee. I mean, I, I read them all and kind of pulled the essence out of all of those in and put sort of our spin on it. And, mm-hmm. and that's what became Three Story Method. And really, I think what 
the the big thing that that people really love about three story method is, and it's called three story method for a reason. Is that I, I really believe that the the foundation of a story is is three things, right? And if you asked a kindergartner, you know, what are the parts of a story? They're going to say beginning, middle, and end. That's it. It doesn't have to be more complicated than that. Right. So what we did is we took those and we kind of we used a different label that authors would hopefully relate to better. So the beginning is the conflict. That's the first C, which is what is the event or the moment that pushes the protagonist out of the status quo? Mm-hmm. Because if that doesn't happen, you don't have a story. Right. Right. If, if someone's just doing what they normally do, that that's there's nothing interesting about that. So there, you have to have this initial conflict. In the film world, it's often called the inciting incident. Okay. Then the, the second C, the one that's most important, the one that almost all authors, myself included, don't do a good enough job with is the choice. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, the choice is the only thing that matters. Right. Right. And when we go through life, whether you're telling, you're talking to your husband and you're, you're telling him a story about something that happened, or you're listening to a story or watching a TV show, all you care about is, well, what did they do? Yeah. Right. That's, <laughs> that's what you want to know, right? Like, if you saw you, if you're like, "Hun, you won't believe this," this lady walked in the store the other day, and I looked up, and she was totally naked, and the security guard looked at her. Now, if you stop there, your husband would be like, "Well, what did he do?" Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? That's it. That's that's the essence. So even like, if, if there's one thing you remember about story, it's got to revolve around choice at the scene level, at the chapter level, at the global level. So you have your initial conflict, which pushes. That would be the woman walking into the store. And then you have the choice that's forced, which is, okay, what's that character or protagonist going to do? And then the third C is the end or the consequence, which is what's the result of that choice. Right. So that's it. If you can break a story down into those three things, it will work 95% of the way. Yes. I really think that that is an amazing thing. It's simple. And yet it's like, I should have known this before. (laughs) And you kind of, I mean, we all know that intuitively, as you said, as kindergartners, we know what a story is and we know sometimes what's missing. But what I love about you guys actually putting this into words is sometimes as writers, if you haven't studied craft before, you are looking at your story and you're like, something's wrong, but I don't know what it is. And when you can put labels to it of like, oh, they actually never choose anything or there's no inciting incident or there's just lots of like you bring it down to the scene level, which I had never heard of before, like each chapter and you go, well, I went back <laughs> to some, some chapters of, you know, I think all writers have like half novels on their desktop, yeah. you know, and you're like, yeah, it's just rambling. <laughs> it's yes. just getting, it's trying to get to that point. And there's really nothing happening in the scenes. You know, it's like almost a minute to minute. Yeah. That's why that first book will never get republished right. again. <laughs> yes. And I, I joke around all the time. I, I say that's an interesting sequence of events, but that's yes. not a story. Right. <laughs> and like, I don't know, like if you've, I'm sure you've had this experience with your, your kids, but maybe around second or third grade is when my kids really struggled with the elements of storytelling because they, at that point, that's where they would tell that story where like, um, today this boy came in and he got a drink from the water fountain and then he walked to the bathroom and like, and it just goes, and you're like, uh-huh. 
Uh, <laughs> it's just a sequence of events. They're like, it's look at me, story. dad. And you're like, I'm yeah. trying. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to follow this, hon, but it's really challenging. And yeah. then you picked me up. You're like, yeah. oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I'm like, okay. Well, right, nice. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's true. It is just like the sequence of events that you're mm-hmm. going through. And like, oh, there's, you also say something else. Well, okay. Let's, let me back up a little. First of all, the fact that you study 40 books is awesome because I don't have to go read them. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Although you have gotten me interested in a couple of them. And so that's kind of what I want to get across to some people. It's like, if you don't want or don't have the time to go back to Aristotle and read all these books on crafts, what's really great about this book is that you openly say like, this is where this comes from. And this is like, I just love your casual style of like, I didn't make this up. I wish I did, but here's where it comes from. And this is how you guys can apply it. I mean, you found people that I've never heard of, which I now am very interested, like to go back and, and actually read their books. And some of them I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I, I read, I read three story methods. That's so fine. I don't need to go back and read that. <laughs> um, so then you, you have the three C's for the, for the actual book. And then you bring it down to the chapter level, which I think is amazing. And it, if you're ever in the point of like editing, it's definitely good to go and check. Like, are they making a choice? What is this chapter doing? Why are they there? <laughs> good Lord. <laughs> like, yeah. What, are, what yeah. are your characters doing here? Do you, all right. So you go through Star Wars, which is funny to me because I think I've heard three other people of different, like in different industries use Star Wars. So men seem to really like the Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> you, you really pushed my memory level because I was like a kid when I saw it. So. <laughs> but it seems to me that it, it's like, as much as authors, we know, we all think that we're unique and original and our story is unique and original. In the end, we're all kind of trying to tell the same story, which is the hero's journey. Of course, we can get it. There's also the virgin's journey, right? But the hero's journey seems to be like that story from the beginning of time to now that we're all really interested in. Do you have a theory on why this is like the human, <laughs> the human quest. <laughs> Why do we need a hero? Why do we need this hero story? Or do you think, like, do you do you agree with me that that seems to be the same thing? I know you can always disagree with me. Oh, I think it is. I mean, I'll preface everything I'm going to say with that the Campbell stuff is kind of out of vogue right now. It's been labeled somewhat misogynistic or or male focused. Mask. It's got more of a masculine energy to it, which acknowledged. I mean, it was written 60 years ago, like. It's that's what product is time. Like he's, he's dead. He's not going to revise it. So, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but But I I think, I mean, we'd have to call all of our ancestors massage. I mean, this is like you say in the book mythology. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's, that's the answer to your question, right? It's like what, what Campbell was doing was he was unveiling the, the pattern of, the tradition of storytelling mm-hmm. that has been passed down for eons. Like that is, that's the essence of the hero's journey. So yet you can, you can say, well, it's, it's too masculine or whatever, or I'd rather use, you know, the virgin's promise or the heroine's journey. Like, well, it's, it's fine. We're, really what we're talking about is an archetype, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so a story archetype exists because it exists. <laughs> like, the, you know, the Bible, um, if you strip the, the the religious nature out of that, 
those stories exist because they're the same stories people have been telling for thousands of years. Right. And and it's the same it's the same stories we tell. And small side note, I want to thank you for acknowledging the research because <laughs> some of, some of I haven't gotten a lot of criticism of the book, but one of the criticisms I got was, well, I don't need all that stuff. Like that's that's superfluous. I I don't I don't need to know where you got that. There there was there was too much other stuff in there. And I and I was I pushed back against that. Like I take criticism pretty well, but on on that point, I'm like, no, that needed to be there. Like I needed to acknowledge where that came from, how it came to be. You might not care what Aristotle said in Poetics 2000 years ago, and and you, Kat, might not ever have to go and read that book, but at least now you understand where it came from, even though it came through my lens, right? So as a holistic approach, I would not remove that from the book. There there are things I might change, but I think that lineage is important. And I I think too, it goes back to your your original question in that three-story method isn't something Zach and I came up with. Like we just pulled elements of other methodologies. Right. And like I pulled elements from StoryGrid and Sean Coyne pulled elements from Robert McKee and McKee pulled it from Vogler and Vogler pulled it from Campbell and yep. turtles all the way down. Yep. Yep. It's yeah, absolutely. I mean, have has anyone ever come up with a new idea since, you know, they invented the wheel? I mean, and we don't even remember their names. So, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's not the story idea. It's how you tell it. That's, right. That's what yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah, and you fully acknowledge like whether this will work for you or not. But I want to, I've, I've been trying to encourage people who listen, like this will help you. I mean, I'm I'm about to come out with my third novel, which is not a lot, you know, in the scheme of some, some people <laughs> who write faster than me. But I think every single writer's idea is to have the next novel be better you know, than the last one. And how can you get better unless you sort of look at methods or look at the pros who have gone before you, the people that you admire. And this is a way to really take the books or the, that you love or the people, the writers that you admire and understand why you like it so much, you know, and even taking this as a way of like, okay, you know, what are the three C's of my favorite book? And how can I learn from that on how they incorporated it? Because whether you say hero or heroine, like they have to have a choice. And like you, I love how you say it, like make it harder, <laughs> just make it harder. Whatever first comes to your brain, don't do that one. Make it 10 times harder because that's really what we want to see because there are some people in life that have really hard choices to make, you know, and we need to see that the character do that. So I, I loved it for both for writing and for reading. Does that make sense? Like it, it does. And, and I think too, it, it raises another good point. Um, where the, I want to make sure people understand is that it's not a plotting tool. It's not a revision tool. It's an analysis, right? Mm-hmm. So if you want to sit down on a blank page and write, go ahead. You don't have to think about the three C's when you're done, go back and make sure you got them in there. Yeah. Or if you want to sit down and map out your three C's and then write to that, fine. It, this is not a, this is not a, you know, pantser versus plotter thing. It's, it's not just for people who prep ahead of time. You can use the principles in this methodology at any point in the writing process. Uh, you just want to do it before it gets into the hands of readers. That's, that's for where, sure. you know, because you don't, you don't want, you don't want your shoe leather scenes being pointed out in your Amazon reviews. Yes. That's where you come down to the reviewers. <laughs> if it's in the hands of readers, it's in the hands of reviewers. 
And I, you know, I just have in this very politicized world where we argue about everything, pantsers versus plotters versus everything. Like I say that I'm I'm approaching this book and learning about the craft, trying to not bring any judgment towards, like, I just want to learn. Like, can we just not argue about whether it's better this way or that way? Like try to come to learning about the craft with just open, innocent kid eyes of like, do you have a way that I can make my stories better? <laughs> you know, and it's okay. Like, I think my stories are pretty good. Can I make them better? Yeah, I mean, I think you even say it in the book. Can we make it a little bit better? It isn't, I think you open with it. <laughs> but, you know, you, I can, I, I mean, I can tell like, you have a growth mindset. And, and I think that's different than people who have a fixed mindset. And it, the Carol Dweck book is fantastic if you're interested in learning more about mindsets. But, you know, the growth mindset is that you're always acknowledged, that you're always learning. You're always changing and growing and adapting. I think it's more dangerous to have a fixed mindset, um, whether it's about writing or anything else, where you say, nope, I've got it all. I, I know what I'm doing. There's no new information I'm going to find that's going to change my mind or change the way I do things like to me, that's dangerous. Yeah. You know, and like I, I've said too, I've been podcasting for seven years. Uh, I, I totally disagree with myself <laughs> from the past. Uh, there are things I said that I totally disagree with now. It's because I learned stuff. Yes. Like, you know, like that's, I would be worried if I was saying, if seven years later, I was still saying the same things that I did then. Like that would be a, a problem, I think. Yes, I agree with that. So it, it's funny how you're, you're a writer. You started teaching. You started writing, you left teaching to write, but now you're teaching again. <laughs> yeah. Funny how that happens. <laughs> it always comes full circle, doesn't it? But so you have the three-story method book that people can find on Amazon. I hold it up as though people can see it. Like nobody's <laughs> watching. <laughs> Looks good. <laughs> hey, if you guys have, is that osmosis? I don't know. <laughs> if you guys have, <laughs> you're psychic. Um, everyone can find it on Amazon and I'll put the links in there, but you also teach, like you mentioned your, um, your seminars where you do short stories, but um, can you tell us a little bit about the podcast where you teach about writing? You have another one where you interview. I think you have another one. Are you still doing the one with the 10 minute economic? Uh, economic oh, no, I'm only doing two now. So. Okay, you're only doing two. <laughs> There's a little joke about Jay Thorne having opening another podcast and another podcast. Yeah. They're always good. So I was listening. Thanks. <laughs> and then you have masterminds, you have short stories. I mean, you're always doing something. So tell us a little bit about that that part of you. Yeah, definitely. There's sort of, uh, there's two layers to this. The first layer is very pragmatic mm -hmm. in that the brutal honesty, and I'm, I'm included in this, is most authors can't make a living selling their fiction. Mm -hmm. You might think a lot of them do because that's who you hear from and that's who you see revenue reports from. But the reality of it is that it's really, really hard to do that. And and I realized shortly after uh, going through the StoryGrid certification that I had I, I had a master's degree and 23 years experience in teaching. And why wouldn't I apply that to the writing world? Like this, this could be another revenue stream. It can help out other, other writers. It'll help me grow as a person. And uh, I think if you talk to any, any classroom teacher, like you're once it's in there, you, you're not getting rid of it. Like, so I, you know, so, so part of it was sort of pragmatic in that I wanted to diversify my revenue stream so that I was not reliant just on fiction royalties because I, I, you know, was, it was a big gamble. And the other part of it is just sort of heart centered. Like I can't, I, I can't escape it. I tried. And there was one point where Zach's like, no, you need to do this. He's like, you're a good teacher. Like you, you, you and I kept saying like, no, I'm a writer. I'm a writer. I'm not a teacher. 
And then, you know, then I finally embraced it. So that's what gave birth to The Author Life, which is my um, website for all author services. And that's where all the books are, the community and, and the events and that sort of thing. But now, a few years later, it's they've become entwined. They, mm. You know, I feel like I have to write to be a, a voice of authority in the space. And so they they serve each other really well. And I feel like I have a balance now. I, I don't feel as guilty about not writing as much because I know I'm helping other people with their writing and I'm I'm still doing it, um, having fun with it. So it's been an interesting journey. Yeah, that's really awesome. So I have met quite a few people who have, who recommended it. your your name came up quite a few times last year. It's like I'm gonna check out this guy, <laughs> this Jay Thorne guy. So um, I will have all the links in the show notes, of course, if anyone is wanting to pursue the craft or learn a little bit more, I highly recommend that they check out the authorlife.com. I always go to author success. Yeah. Authorlife.com is the easier one. Yeah. Authorlife.com. Check out Jay Thorne. It's J dot (laughs) Thorne. It's not the other way around. I tried to Google you once. Writing about (laughs) (laughs) J-A-Y. Um, and I'll also have the link for three story method, but thank you so much for taking your time and talking with me today. I had a really good time. Me too. My pleasure, Kat. Thanks. Hey, you're still listening. Since you are, could you do me a favor and head over to the app that you're listening to this episode on and hit the subscribe button and then rate and review the show? It would really help the Pencils of Lipstick podcast get out into the world. And if you're enjoying the podcast, well, then there might be more people out there who would enjoy it as well. If you want to find out more about me, you can head over to catcaldwell.com. I have my story over there, my books, my interactive journals, my one-on-one coaching information, and information on my creative writing community membership group. If you're looking to write a book or you are a writer and you just want to find out more about how to write, how to publish, how to format, how to market, and all the things that go into being an author these days, check out the membership group. There is a 14 free day trial that you can try it out, get into the mastermind, find out all the goodies that we are talking about in the group. I would love to see you there.